Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Liverpool One Church, it is so great to have you in church today. Just stay standing on your feet until we've till we're done praying this morning, you know. Man, I just love that song that we've just sung because I just love the idea that actually it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from, there is a way in God to go back to the place where you first found God, where you first started out on your journey with God. And I'm convinced today that no matter who you are and where you're from, really that your life counts, that your life matters, that you are a person of grave significance, like there is stuff that's going on around you, that God is working out through you, that you might not necessarily be able to see the picture in its entirety right now. But I'm convinced that your life matters and that your life counts. And I know that there's no worse feeling in life than feeling like, does my life count for anything? Like, or am I just here going through the motions? So as we jump into a new series today, that really is going to be my heartfelt prayer for every single one of us, that by the end of church, today, that we'd walk out kind of leaving and we'd feel and we'd know that your life matters and that you're seen by God and even the innermost dreams that you encompass in your heart, they're heard by God and there's nothing that happens around you that is unnoticed by Him. Why? Because we serve a God who is committed intrinsically to developing a real and authentic relationship with you. So I think it's going to be a great day in the house, but I'm not sure that it's going to be that unless we right-size God first and put Him in front of everything that's about to come. So Liverpool One Church, let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we come to You today and we ask that You would be in the midst of everything that we do. Holy Spirit, that You would work in and amongst every word that's going to come out of my mouth today that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give, a heart, give us a heart that is soft to receive your word today. So that God, that when we leave church today, we'd leave knowing, feeling and sensing like we've just had a real encounter with the one and only true living God. And we ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, as we take our seats Hey, not only do I love that song because I just think it's brilliant, but I love it because this is some of the stuff that our band have wrote together. And tonight we go into a full-blown, full-scale album record. I mean, who would have ever have thought that right? I mean, seriously, we didn't see that coming. Um, We've had a couple of great things happen, actually, just in the life of church over the past seven days. And I'm not mentioning the album because I'm trying to do a sales pitch on anybody. I'm mentioning mentioning it because there's nobody that is more shocked or more surprised that that is now something that is coming out of our house. And um, we've just had a fantastic seven-day period. I mean, let me ask this question. Who absolutely loved Pastor Peter Haas last Sunday? I thought he, yeah, he was just incredible. He is 
fast becoming a really great friend of this house and Emma and I, and we were so incredibly appreciative for him and his team that were able to come over. Man, we feel like we've learned so much. So that was pretty amazing. And the fact that we're doing an album record tonight, that's pretty amazing too. But also, I just want to give you a little bit of an insight also just to my world over the past seven days, because some of you might be a little bit aware that Emma and I have been involved over the past number of years in really setting up another charity that really exists to become a network for leaders and pastors around the United Kingdom and to try and partner them with other people that have a dream and a desire to plant churches. Because this is what I believe. I believe that every single city and space and region in the United Kingdom needs a life-giving church. Because the reality of it is, Scripture tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And we don't live in a context where people are going to hear a gospel presentation on the radio or on God TV, you know, or at least if you are, you're going to do really well to find it out there in the plethora of just satellite channels that are available. And we really think that if people are going to come into a real and authentic relationship with Jesus Christ, it's most likely going to happen because they come into contact with you, with a local church. So we've always had a huge heart for church planting because we kind of feel that we did it the wrong way. We feel that we've learned the lessons about like how not to start a church. And now we've just found that God, for whatever reason, has just started to, I guess, open up a sphere of influence that at first we thought like, man, maybe if we get like five pastors, five leaders in the room, like we win. But actually this Tuesday, we launched the Association of Related Churches, Great Britain. And we had 75 pastors gather in church today, um, in church on that day who were just wanting to say, I think that we want to help get involved in church planting too. So here's, here's just two things. The first thing I'm just going to tell you, because people have been asking, and I, for me, this is so obvious, but clearly it's not that obvious because some people have been asking this question. They're asking Emma and I like, hey, so the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, is that like your next thing? Are you going to be leaving Liverpool One Church to go and do that now? Is that like, so? no, no not at all. Our time into that is all 100% voluntary because we just have a huge heart to see churches start strong all over the UK. But the crazy thing is, is that what we thought was going to be like a UK thing ended up being a bit of a European thing because we had pastors, and I'm just blown away by this, fly in from Sweden, from France, from Germany. I mean, honestly, I, I am so shocked that we got to play a small part in launching this day. But I want you, Liverpool One Church, I think I want you to feel like you get to come on this journey too. I don't want you to feel like this is just a, a, a Luke and Emma thing because the reality of it is, is that we're so passionate about helping people start churches now because we started this church. You exist because at some point we had a crazy dream to start this church. So I want you to feel like you're part of this journey too. So check out the screens. Here's like a 30 second highlight reel of what the day actually looked like, looked like here at Liverpool One Church. So hey, I reckon that's worth 
of celebrating. Can we just say a big thank you to every single one of our volunteers as well that made that happen? So many people took like days off to just come and be a part of the band and to serve and love on people. Um, and man, I'm just, I feel honoured that I get to play a small part in that. And it's kind of funny and it kind of links into my message really well is that that whole day that you saw on screen just then that took place on Tuesday, that was a day that actually I think has been in our heart for a long time but almost never materialised because at one point in my life, I had somebody, and some of you might have heard me share this story, I had somebody just tell me point blank that in relation to that dream and that goal of one day being involved with like launching an initiative called ARC in and around the UK, someone told me and said, hey, listen, you have zero potential. In fact, the word they used was you don't have any potential for that. And I'm going to tell you that because I went on a really bad journey for about 12 months just trying to figure out what that even looked like. But You've got to understand, sometimes people will tell you lies and sometimes they don't even know that they're saying it. But the reality of it is, is that that lie about me having any potential, I mean, I might not have the most potential, but I, I have some at least, right? I mean, the reality of it is, is, is I've got to choose sometimes to just not believe the lie because I don't like being lied to any more than you do. I think that one of the reasons why we all hate being lied to is that it has the ability to take us off track. I think that when it comes to being involved in just pastoring a church, one of the things that I'm really aware of now, which I think is quite different to even 30 years ago, but I think that there are so many lies that exist today about what it actually looks like when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I think that there are so many misconceptions and just wrong ideas, bad theology, bad ideology of what being a discipleship actually looks like. I think that there are many discipleship myths that exist out there. And I don't want to list every single one of them, but a few of them would be the lie that if you follow Jesus, that you can still live for you. And yet that's completely incorrect in terms of what Scripture would teach. Because when you say that you're going to become a follower of Jesus, you're going to become a discipleship of His, your life is no longer your own. Another lie is that you can live for now, almost like you can follow Jesus, come to church and not understand that your days, weeks and months are all connected. Like the decisions that you make today, they really affect the place that you end up living in tomorrow. And yet some people like to present this idea of, well, it's okay if you go to church because if you mess your life up, God will just fix it for you. So the live for you now is really a discipleship myth. The other myth that I think is true, and many of you will have heard of it, is that it's the idea that you can follow Jesus on your own terms. Like you can cherry pick certain parts of your fellowship of him according to the things that you value. But actually, you don't get to follow Jesus according to the things that you value. You follow him according to what he said. And you follow him according to the things that he instructs us to live our life by. Some people think that you can follow Jesus 
just by acquiring lots of Bible knowledge. Like if I just listen to the podcast, if I read a couple of books, if I become smarter, maybe a little bit more aware of church history, then it's kind of okay if I don't really put into practice what Jesus would teach because I know everything that Jesus teaches. It's just a myth. It's not how we follow Jesus. You know, another ideology that I think is equally harmful is the idea that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then you need a one-on-one discipleship class with the senior pastor. And if that's not where you grow, then you'll grow nowhere at all. But the reality of it is, it's just a lie. They're just discipleship myths that exist. And actually, over the last 30 to 50 years, there's been this huge change between, I think, the information world and the invitation world. It's almost like you used to be able to, when I was a kid, and maybe like 30, 40, 50 years ago, you could almost follow a discipleship path by just pursuing more information about who God is. But now that's not the route. The route now is not information, it's invitation. Now people need to be invited to come to church because they're not turning up on their own. They need to be invited to be a part of your life group because they're not turning up on their own. They need to be invited to be a part of a service team somewhere in the life of Liverpool One Church because discipleship happens now through invitation primarily. And if we were to get right to the bottom of all the the myths and all of the lies that exist about what a follower of Jesus actually looks like and now start to bring it round to some truth, if we're honest, it's just not easy because actually discipleship is a life that is about sacrifice. It's a life that's about giving and it's a life that's about sharing. We're starting a new series in church today and it's called our Legacy Series. Some of you might remember that last year we started to speak to you about this new idea for us that once a year, we would be taking up as a church at the end of October, a legacy miracle offering. Now I know right now, a whole bunch of you have just switched off, but look, stay with me, track with me just for a moment. I think that one of the reasons why we wanted to introduce this idea is that we just understand that the vision of a church is always gonna be set by a senior leader. We understand that scripturally. But what we also understand is that the pace at which that local church travels is gonna be set by the generosity of the church. So last year, we launched this initiative and we just spoke about it one Sunday and we said, at the end of October, we're gonna take up a financial offering that was above our typical giving of our tithe. It was going to be an above and beyond financial offering, a love gift into the life of the church. And we kind of explained that we had several dreams that we were wanting to do with that money. One of them was we wanted to finish up building a dining room out in a children's home in Kenya. And man, I promise you, we've got some really cool, exciting news about that, that in January 2024, we're going to be able to talk to you about in a little bit more detail. In fact, we're going to be able to show you some stuff, but 
right now is just not the time that we can go there. So you're just going to have to sit on your hands until January 24. But we also said that we were going to be looking to do other things too. We wanted to invest in other church planters that wanted to plant churches around the UK and around Europe. And we've been doing that. You've heard some of the stories. And in this series, we're going to get to explain to you some more of the stories, some of the good work that your financial seed has been able to accomplish. And then on top of that, we also said that what we really want to do is just spend some money on our church facility here. I mean, the fact that you're sat in church today and it's not either 12 degrees or 29 degrees is actually down to your legacy giving last year because we were able to install a de-stratification system and these things, they don't cost a couple of thousand, like it's expensive. And we were able to just take care of some things in our home church that we just otherwise would not have been able to do. So that's what we started to do last year. And I guess that I want to be upfront and say, from the off, that's where we're going with this, okay? So look, if you go missing for the next four Sundays in church, I'll know that you have a huge problem with this series. And hey, here's the bottom line. I'm going to try my very best to be as honest and upfront and as transparent as I can be regarding what all of our dreams and plans and aspirations are. And then really what we're asking you to do is just pray. And we're going to ask you to pray and ask God and say, God, is there anything that you want me to do in this legacy offering at the end of October? That really is my only ask. There's no hard sell. There's nobody bullying you into doing anything, okay? We're not that type of church. We're asking you not to give. I'm asking you to pray and ask God whether you should give into the legacy offering at the end of October. So regarding discipleship, let's get back on track. Regarding discipleship, we've established that it's not necessarily the easiest of things. In fact, even Jesus speaks about this in Matthew 28. He says this, he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am always with you, even to the end of the age. So it's clear that the type of discipleship and fellowship that Jesus himself invites us into is probably not the type of fellowship that we would most like. The type of discipleship that Jesus invites us into is not the type of fellowship that enables you to just put a tick in the box that says, here you go, God. I came to church this month. Here you go, God. I've done two Sundays out of the four. It's not following him like that. It's not about that at all. In fact, Jesus would have gone on to have said, actually, it's way more than if you were simply christened as a child. He also would have said, it's way more than you maybe having been brought up in a Church of England primary school or high school where you said prayers every day. You could have grown up having done all of those things and still be a million miles away from what it actually looks like to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus according to what he says. So my question is, what are the indicators that we can actually look out for so we can measure how are we doing on becoming a disciple of Jesus. And we're going to jump into those indicators really clearly at the end of this talk. But what I would want you to know from the jump is, 
even Jesus spoke more into this. When it comes to being a follower of Jesus, a discipleship of his, he said this in Luke 14. He said, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I mean, let's be honest. This, Hey, I didn't sign up to come to a church that's going to talk about the heavy stuff. This is the real stuff, right? Jesus here is saying, unless you're willing to pick up your cross and follow me, then you're kind of, you're not a disciple. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter how many times you say the prayer in the school assembly. Jesus was like, it's way more than that. It's just not easy. It doesn't become accessible for anybody without an intentional pursuit of who God is. And Jesus even goes on further in the same chapter. Verse 33, he says this, in the same way, those of you who do not give up Everything you can, everything you have cannot be my disciples. Whoa, hang on a minute. Like, I didn't sign up for that. Like, I thought we were coming to church and we'd sing a few songs, clap our hands, and then we'd kind of be done and gone. Like, that's being a Christian, right? Well, not according to Jesus. I mean, Jesus here is like, unless you're willing to give up everything, then you you don't really count as being my disciple. And he says everything. I mean, he's talking about this. If you want to be a follower of mine, but you're not willing to give up your time, your reputation, your sexuality, your serving, your energy, your resources, your emotion, your gratitude, like unless you're willing to give up everything, then you kind of can't be my disciple. And this isn't necessarily the easiest of things to hear. Some of you are already, you're like, seriously? Like, Luke, I've come to church for this today. Can you not like be a little bit more positive? This feels a little bit negative. Like, just be a little bit more positive. Okay, I'm gonna be really positive. I'm absolutely positive that following Jesus is just not easy, okay? That's the one thing that I can be positive about. He says you've gotta be willing to give up everything. It's a life that is marked by sacrifice. That's really what it's about. You know, one of the things that I see in Scripture, and maybe you do too, especially when you're reading through the Gospel accounts, you know, and we're looking at the acts that Jesus was doing when he was here walking and putting on flesh amongst us. What we kind of see is that there are two really clear and distinct groups of people that were always around Jesus. There were always the multitudes. There were always the crowds. They would travel with Jesus. They would follow Jesus. They would go from town to town, from region to region. There was always the crowds. There was the multitudes. And often the crowds would turn up because they had a very specific need or request or requirement from Jesus. So the crowds would turn up because maybe they wanted to be inspired by this man who they had heard was a great teacher. The crowds would turn up because maybe some of them wanted to be educated because he was a well-respected rabbi in this community. Others would simply want to fathom out, is he really who he claims to be? Like the one and only son of the one and only, is he really that? And yet other people will have been following Jesus in the crowd and in the multitude because they had a need 
They had like something going on in their life that just felt broken and they needed a saviour. They needed someone to rescue them from everything that was going on. Some of them, they had health situations. They got sick or a loved one got sick and now they needed Jesus to get involved and get in the midst of everything that they were battling through. There was the crowds, there was the multitudes. Some of them needed a change in their employment situation. Others of them needed a relational change in their marital status. Like they were the crowd, they were the multitude, and they always had a need, and Jesus always counted them. But there was another group of people that were always around Jesus that were called the disciples, and they weren't following Jesus because they were demanding a need, and they weren't following Jesus because they were demanding to be healed or because they needed a breakthrough. They were, they were following Jesus as a disciple because they committed to putting their life on a path that was in full pursuit of them. But with that group of people, Jesus counted on them. So there was one group that Jesus counted and there was another group that Jesus counted on. Think about the story that's recounted where there are 5,000 people that were counted. And I think that that was just including, you know, the guys. It didn't include the women and the children. And Jesus, sitting on the side of a mountain, does this amazing miracle because the crowd and the multitude are all getting hungry and they're all like, what's in it for me? Where's our food? We're all starving. And they were all getting hangry. And then Jesus completes this amazing miracle by taking this young boy's pack lunch that his mum had made him. He had some fish and he had some loaves of bread. And Jesus took that and he multiplied it and every single one of the multitude were all fed to the point at which there were baskets that were left over. But I want you to see this. It was the crowd that had come that Jesus was just counting, yet it was the disciples that Jesus was counting on to administer the miracle. And you can check this out in your own Bible when you go home today. What we actually see is that Jesus ends up passing out the food through his disciples. It was the disciples that were running around carrying baskets and boxes and distributing fish and bread and making sure everyone had a cherry Coke. There were some that were counted and there were others that were counted counted on by Jesus. And I think that my closing question is, which one are you? Which group are you in? Are you here because you want to be counted by Jesus? Or are you here because you're saying, God, I'm going to make my life wholly available to you and you can use me in any way or which you choose. Everything I have is yours. I'm not going to hold anything back from you and you can count on me. Because that's the difference between the crowd and a disciple. Now, for those of you that are wondering, is there any good news today? Like seriously, is this all a heavy ask? Well, yeah, there is some really great news. There is some amazing news, in fact. If you're a follower of Jesus, it is true that you absolutely, you get eternal life, you get heaven, you get a real and authentic relationship with your Father in heaven who would have otherwise been completely closed off to you without you having first placed your trust in Jesus. But for those of you that choose the path of discipleship, I want you to understand what the writer of Hebrews 6 tells you. He says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. In other words, if you feel like you're on a discipleship path right now, and you're feeling like, does God even see? Or maybe even today, you're challenged, 
and already you're feeling like, I think I want to make that next step and get on a discipleship path myself. I want you to know that there is not one act of giving or serving or kindness or compassion that is not seen by your heavenly Father in heaven. In fact, he tells us that he's not unjust. Do you know what I think the implication is? I think that he's keeping count. I think that he's keeping score. And if he's not unjust, he's not unjust for a reason. Because at the right time, I think you're going to reap an incredible reward because he remembers every single detail. So back to our question. Are there any indicators that we can look at in our own lives that can help us determine how are we doing? On the discipleship scale, how are we really doing? Well, there are. Let's jump to the book of Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. And I want to read a passage of Scripture and then give you three simple thoughts that I think are marks of a disciple. Not the crowd, but of a follower. Not the ones that were counted, but in fact, the ones that were counted on. Acts 2, 44. And the context of which... Now Jesus has gone to heaven. He's now seated at the right-hand side of the Father. And now he's empowered all the disciples to kind of figure out how they start the early church. And we jump into the text, verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that amazing? Like this is a picture of how this whole thing that we're now sat in today, that's taking place right now worldwide, this is at its early stages of infancy. This is how the early church was started out. So here's three hallmarks of a disciple, three indicators that you should look for and ask yourself, how am I doing on that? The first thing we see is that what they were willing to give and share was their time. Verse 46 says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Every day, not once a week on a Sunday, but every day. That's why I'm now asking you to come to church every day. No, I'm joking. Don't worry, okay? Whoa, that would have been a bit much. It's going to be crazy in here. Hey, this is what these guys did every day. They would meet together in the temple courts. These guys would meet every single day in their local church and they would share their lives together. Here what we find is these early followers of Jesus choosing to commit to being willing to be honest and real enough so that they would have great relational capital with one another, so that they would not only know people, but they would be known as well. They were willing to give of their time. They were willing to say, I'm committed to staying in and building healthy, God-honoring relationships. There was a huge degree of intentionality here. 
Every single day, they were in each other's lives. They were living in each other's pockets. They would know exactly what was going on in everyone's family and who was sick and who needed prayer and who had a need that could be helped out and who was believing for a job. What they were willing to give is time. So if you wanna be a follower of Jesus, it's going to take some time. Yes, it's gonna take a few moments on a Sunday when we gather together as the widened body of believers, but it's gonna take time as well for you to choose to stay committed to relationships. That's why in church, we kind of say we do two things, big Sundays and small groups. And now apparently album recordings too. But we do big Sundays and small groups. We are so passionate about seeing you get into a healthy life group because it's the only way to help make a big church feel small. It, otherwise, your, your touch point with church might feel very disconnected. Without you being involved in a life group, without you actually knowing people, it can feel almost a little bit transactional. Yet a, a life group is the way in which you get to meet people who are just like you in a similar life placement. And this is why we're saying, listen, if you've joined a life group last month when we asked you all to sign up and you haven't, uh, maybe you're feeling like I just haven't connected in my group, I want you to know from me and also on behalf of Stephen Rach who run our whole life group system in church, I want you to know this, it's okay to go to a different group. It's okay if you're feeling like this doesn't work for me, you can change it and we will not harass you. No one's gonna be texting you saying, why have you left my group? Like we totally get it. Like you need to be around people that are gonna be helpful and healthy for you because you need to be that around other people too. So I would just say, make sure you're in a life group. And also, you know what? Um, I just think that you're probably kidding yourself if you think that you can do your fellowship of Jesus just by doing this once a week. The reality of it is, is you can find Jesus on your own, but you just can't follow him on your own. So if you haven't yet signed up for a life group, I want you today to go straight to the info point right in the foyer and just say to those amazing volunteers, on that stand and say, can you tell me how you sign me up for a life group and we'll help you do it? Because if you wanna be a follower, it's gonna take some of your time. The second thing that it's gonna require of you is you to be willing to share some of your talent. The scriptures tell us that they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I just want you to think about that picture for a moment. Most days, these guys would be sharing a meal in someone's home. Can you just imagine the scene, what it would look like for you when you have guests coming into your house? Imagine the scene, what it looks like in your family unit when you're throwing a dinner party. Like, it's a bit carnage, isn't it? Someone's hoovering, someone else is mopping, someone else is washing the veg, someone else is setting the table, someone else is mowing the lawn, someone else is having to like hoover the, the carpet, someone else having to wipe around the bathroom. I mean, the reality of it is when you throw a dinner party, it takes the work of everybody in the house to make sure that the house is ready for your guests to come into. And I just wonder, was that not exactly the same picture that was 
happening here in Acts 2 when it talks about them just sharing food together in one another's homes? I think that it would have meant that everybody said, it's not about me, this is about we, so what can we do to help make the house ready? What can we do to help set the dinner table? And I think that church needs to look like that also. Because when we say, hey, we want you to join a team, it's because we're asking you to share your talent because there are people willing to sacrifice themselves and say, I'm willing to be a security volunteer. There are people that are willing to say, I'm okay with not being in the service because I'm gonna love on some kids. There are people that are willing to say, it's okay for me not even to be in this physical space because we're gonna run a a broadcasting suite and a media team. There are other people that serve on youth and YA. I mean, honestly, we have people that are solely committed to just trying to pastorally take care of you and we're grateful for them because it takes a family to make the house work. And my question really is, are you willing to be part of the family by sharing some of your time and your talent? Because for me, I always look for moments and stories where I'm reminded of what God is actually doing in this church. And for me, one of those moments came not so long ago. I was just stood on the front door as people are going out saying goodbye. And somebody came up and approached me and they just told me, hey, they started to say a bunch of nice stuff that was really awesome to hear. But they said, let me tell you, this is my second Sunday in church. And I was like, wow, like, I'm so glad that you're here. And I asked him, have you ever been into church before? And he was like, not really. I've been to a few weddings, been to a few funerals, but like, I've never been part of a church or anything like this. And then he just said this thing and he just looked me in the eyes and he said, here's the thing. I'm not sure if I believe the same thing as you yet. And I'm going, okay, we can, we can work with that. That's awesome. You can come with your doubts. You can come with your questions. He goes, I'm not sure that I even believe in God yet, but I don't think that I would even still be here if it wasn't for this church. And my question is this, for somebody to say that, that is saying, I don't even think I believe in God yet, What is the impression that has been made on him for him to not choose to take his own life? I think it was the people that were serving and welcoming and giving tea and giving coffee out. I think it just took a family of volunteers willing to say, hey man, we're gonna be committed to just building the local house. So I'm grateful to you for sharing with us your talents. And then the third and final thing I think that is a requirement if you really wanna be a disciple is you've got to be willing to share your treasure. Verse 45 tells us that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Like the reality here is these guys that were starting the early church, if we really get down to it, they sold some stuff. Like they were willing to sacrifice. They went without some stuff so that they could live and learn the art of being a blessing to those others that were around them. They were not only willing to say, I'll give you some time and I'll share my talent, but they were financially willing to say, I'm willing to share my treasure with you too. They almost looked at their life and felt, I feel that the areas of of excess and areas of blessing that God has given to me, that it's not just for me and I'm willing to bet the farm, I'm willing to risk it all if it goes some way to help out others. Uh, We got a, um, we don't get this a lot, but it does happen. But like sometimes we get some really bizarre emails and people will be highly critical of everything that we're doing in the church. And most often than not now, 
I have some amazing staff and team and they, they screen out like what comes to me and what doesn't. But there was this one particular email uh, about a year ago and they were basically slating me on every level to do with um, our church, like everything. They hated everything, hated me, hated the church, blah, blah, blah. But one of the things that they said in this email, it just bothered me so much. They turned around in this email and what they said to me was, it's okay for you being a pastor. You have no clue what it's like. You have no clue what it's like to not be able to get your kids school uniforms. You have no clue what it's like to struggle to pay the energy bills. And I'm reading this email and I'm thinking like, and I asked, I asked some of our guys, I said like, how have people got that impression of me? And we actually, we, we, we did an exercise and we'd never done this before. We started to look back at the times in which we had started to share some of our church planting story and journey with the church. And we realised that from the time that they'd been in the church to the time that them deciding that they hate me, that they were now going to leave the church, we'd not once spoken about any of the struggle and the pain and the hardship and everything that it's really taken to even get as close to something that I think is the call of God on our lives and that of this church and it just kind of made me be asked the question do you think that you should share the stories some more and oftentimes I don't like sharing them because it makes me feel embarrassed and not only does it make me feel embarrassed I don't want to be the guy that's always talking all the time about me but I suppose that when I'm the one speaking I can't really talk about you I can only share the moments that I feel that God has worked powerfully in my life that's the only story that I have to share and I just couldn't believe it that someone would say to, like of anybody, they would say, you don't know what it's like to struggle financially. And I'm like, wow, you think that seriously? Honestly, you have no clue. Because when we started this church, Emma and I, we quit our jobs. We cashed in our life's savings, okay? It's not like we had 50 grand. We didn't have that. But we cashed in everything, and what we did was we knew that the church had zero money to pay us anything in terms of a salary. But we knew that in order for us to make the thing work, it's going to need more than just a bit of volunteerism from a few people. We knew that it was going to need us at this to make it work. So we cashed in everything that we had. And up till that point, I felt like I'd been financially smart with money. I'd always been a bit of a saver. You know, like in the relationship, I think M's the spender, I'm the saver. That was the kind of pattern in our marriage. And and we'd done all right, and I'd got this pot of money, and I literally had resigned from the police, even though everybody said, don't resign, just take a career break. Because if you take a career break when your church doesn't work in a year's time, you can just come back and you'll be on the same top level pay grade. And I was like, I don't feel that that's what God's asking us to do. So we took our savings and we lived off our savings. And we took a very small amount of money from the church, like a few hundred pounds, now, I'm saying that because I think if you can apply that to your world, I think that you would find that tough. Well, we found it tough. But what happened was we got all the way up to one Christmas and we'd been doing this for just over a year. And our kids wanted a PlayStation. And... Um, as a dad, who doesn't want to buy their kids a PlayStation? They'd all decided that collectively, the three of them wanted to pool their presents together. They wanted a PlayStation. I didn't have the money. 
sold my stereo. And by the way, for those of you who love, who know me, you know that like, man, I love music. Like it's the one small pleasure in my life. I sold my stereo, I sold my bike, I sold my running machine. Emma was devastated because she didn't have anywhere to hang the ironing anymore. Like literally, I went through our house and I just sold everything I could find. We went down to one car, which I know even of itself sounds like such a Western problem. But when you've got three kids, it makes life real hard, right? So that's the situation. And I was already behind on the mortgage. Hadn't been paying my mortgage. Now, you try and lead a church and get up and talk about, hey, God's got a good plan for your life. God's gonna bless your life. And yet you feel that financially you're in the worst position you've ever been in your life. So we get through Christmas. I sell everything we have to buy our kids a PlayStation. And Emma knows there's something up with me. Like I'm in a mood all the time. I am angry. And my prayer life was this. God, our savings have now run out. We can't pay the mortgage again this month. I'm already getting letters from the bank. I'm going to have to speak to the bank. Like, like our home is probably going to be repossessed. And we did all of this trying to risk and trying to risk take and be full of faith because we wanted, we had a good dream. It wasn't like we're trying to start a, a crazy thing. We wanted to plant a church, God. So Emma's like, what's the matter with you? And I'd been praying, God, we've got a board meeting in January. I just ask that in this board meeting that our board will sit down and they'll say, hey, Luke, great news. We want you to know that the money's gone up in the church and we're gonna be able to pay you a salary now. That's what I went into that meeting, prayed up for, believing for, and I sat in that meeting. And honestly, you ask any of our board of trustees, I was in such a foul mood. I sat there quiet all night, like saying nothing. And they didn't say anything either about salary or money. And now I know I can't pay the mortgage. So the next morning, I got up, I took the kids to school and I came back into the house and Emma knows nothing about this. And I just had a full-blown meltdown. I said, hon, here's the bottom line. We're probably about to lose our house. We're probably gonna have to sell the only car that we do have because we can't even pay the bill. Like, we have nothing. I've taken cash on credit cards. I've not been paying the mortgage and she's crying and I'm crying and I'm going like, I'm in a mess. I'm completely stuck. I don't know what to do. And just to top it all off, the board and the church has no money either. So like, we're broke, we're finished, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm out. I thought that I'd heard from God, but we hadn't heard from God. Like, I'm out. I can't, the pressure's too much. I don't know how to do the church on one hand and then do a broken home on the other hand. And Emma's crying and she's saying, well, hey, it doesn't matter. And I'm thinking, of course it matters. We're gonna be like, you know, living, living on the streets somewhere or worse still with your mum. It's like, you know, what are we gonna do? <laughs> like, what are we gonna do? And the more that she's crying, I'm crying, and she's saying it doesn't matter, we'll figure it out. And I'm just going, no, no, I've been trying to figure it out for the past four months, and you don't know what a mess that I've got us in. I thought that we'd heard from God, and I'm just like, I'm getting angry now. And as I'm getting angry, the doorbell starts going. And I very clearly remember just politely turning to Emma saying, I wonder if they would consider coming back at another time. 
Okay, maybe my language was a little bit more choice than that. But the doorbell was going and Emma's going, you need to get the door. And I'm like, screw the door. I'm not getting the door. Whoever it is, tell them to go away. It's probably the postman with more bills. We can't even pay for the kids' school uniforms. We can't pay for their trainers. We can't even buy them like pumps for school. Like we're done, we're out. Tell whoever it is to go away. So she gets up and she walks to the door and she comes back in and clearly there was something that she'd had to sign for. And she just threw this envelope on my desk. And then we just carried on talking and I carried on saying like, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, we're going to shut the church. At the time, we had probably 60 people come in, 50 people. I don't even know. And then literally, just as we're about to finish this conversation, I take this envelope. Never happened to me before in my life, ever. And I open this thing, and all there is is there's a check. And there was a check for £5,000. And that money was given to me from someone else in America who I'd only just met. And he literally, he just said, this is because I want you to know I believe in you. And here's the thing. That money was able to just kind of keep us in our house and keep us going for a few more months. And then this is just the crazy way that God sometimes worked. Then the church was able to earn a little bit more money and we started to be able to take a salary from it. So I'm just saying that because for those of you that are going to slate us online, for those of you that are going to write in and those of you that are going to email, listen, I promise you, when it comes down to sacrificing for this church, my kids have paid the biggest price. Like honestly, it's funny now, we laugh about it, but he's not even out yet, don't know where he is, but, but Joey laughs about Solomon because Solomon gets to wear decent trainers. We had to try and tell Joey that Lonsborough were the best trainer ever. And he was like, no, in school they tell me these suck. So what I'm saying is, is that when it comes to being willing to share your treasure, I've lived it, I still live it now. There's not a month that goes by that we don't make sure that we're giving to God of our absolute best and everything that we can do. So all I'm asking you to do is this. Pray and ask the question, God, is there something that you want me to do when we give into our legacy offering at the end of the month? But the real question that I want you to ask yourself is this. Are you the type of follower that Jesus can count? Or are you the type of follower that Jesus can really count on? Church, let's stand to our feet. Time's gone, we're gonna pray. Heavenly Father, God, as it's been challenging this week for me to study in preparation for this talk, and in the same way that it might even be felt as though this is quite a challenging message for our church, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that which only you can do. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just fill in the cracks of maybe where I've not spoken clearly or even well enough. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just lead our hearts. I pray the Holy Spirit that you would lead and guide our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would show us all what the next step is for each and every one of us as we commit to saying we want to be counted on by you. We don't just want to be part of the crowd or the multitude and have us counted. God, what's the next step that you would want us to take to show you, God, that you can count on us. And as we consider this whole series and the idea of giving and 
being generous into the life of church. God, I just pray that people would not feel any pressure at all, that this wouldn't be a hard sell to them. I pray that they would hear my heart more than anything else. And that God, that collectively as a church family, we would just ask together, God, what is it that you want us to do? And whilst every head is still bowed and every eye is still closed, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, but today's your day, you've never made a decision to become a disciple of Jesus. You didn't know about God. You didn't know that he loved you. But right now in this moment, you feel your heart beating. You feel that deep sense of yearning and pulling you towards God and where he is. And you want to make a decision. You want to draw a line in the sand and step over into being a follower of Jesus. I'm going to pray a prayer for you right now and invite you to pray it with me in your heart after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you today wanting to know who you are. And I believe that you're real. I believe you gave me your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for me so that I can know you. So I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my heart. I'm asking you to forgive me for all of my sin and all that I've done wrong. As from this point forth, I'm calling myself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, as I am pursuing you now with all that I have. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.